Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Law Down from CM Murray. My name's Wani Sander. I'm a senior associate at CM Murray, and I've got two of my colleagues here with me. Uh, Beth Hale, who's a partner at CM Murray, and Pooja Daskipsa, who is a associate at CM Murray. Um, and today we are going to be discussing some of the law behind the top stories in the news, as we usually do on these podcasts. Our theme of this podcast is harassment, and we've got two stories that have been in the news recently. The first is the government's response to the consultation on sexual harassment in the workplace. And the second is the uptick in online harassment that's taken place during uh, lockdown as the pandemic's been ongoing and on people returning to the office. So to get us started, Pooja is going to tell us a little bit about the government's response to the consultation on sexual harassment. Thanks, Wanu. Um, yeah, so the government uh, ran a really important consultation um, from the 11th of July to the 2nd of October 2019 on sexual harassment. And it was originally designed to explore um, a few key areas being, number one, the um, evidence for the introduction of mandatory duty on employers to protect workers from harassment and victimisation in the workplace, Secondly, how best to strengthen and clarify the laws in relation to third party harassment. Thirdly, whether interns are adequately protected by the Equality Act um, and the evidence for extending the protection of the Act to volunteers. Um, and finally, the views on extending employment tribunal time limits in the Act from three months. Um, so the government has recently um, responded to that consultation, um, which was published in July. Um, and uh, essentially, you know, taking those points in turn, it has said um, that um, in terms of the introduction of a mandatory duty on employers, it's agreed, it's committed to do that, to introduce a mandatory duty on employers to prevent sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, and I think the hope is that this will, of course, encourage employers into taking positive, proactive steps to make the workplace ultimately safer for everyone and, and putting more focus on prevention um, and raising awareness on expectations on employers um, and uh, I think the aim is that employers will then be required to take all reasonable steps to prevent harassment um, and that an incident will need to have taken place before an individual can make a claim. So that was the kind of crux of the response in relation to that point. Um, they have also committed to introduce explicit protections from third-party harassment um, so this covers circumstances where an employee is harassed in the workplace by a third party, for example, clients, customers, visitors, um, and those specific rules on third party harassment had originally been repealed in October 2013. Um, so it's you know, good to know that the government's committing to introduce explicit protections. Of course, the details are still to be confirmed, um, but it's likely to apply from the first act of harassment. Um, this, I think, will be subject to a reasonable steps defence for employers. Thirdly, a really important one, um, I think, for you know employment practitioners, um, they've committed to take a close look. Um, we don't quite know what that means, but that a close look is something um, at an extension of the time limit for Equality Act cases from three to six months. Um, obviously, you know we all know that three months can be a particularly short time frame, you know, across employment law claims. But actually, in se sexual harassment claims, this can be especially short in circumstances where, for example, it might take the victim some time to build up the courage to speak up about the harassment that they've suffered. 
And so this is this is an important aspect of the government's response. Um, and then, it, you know, following on from what they've already said, they have committed to support the EHRC in developing a statutory code of practice on sexual harassment. Um, and then finally, they've rejected the potential extension of Equality Act protections to volunteers and interns on the basis that, um, A, they believe that many interns would already be protected, for example, as workers um, and in respect to volunteers, that um, if they extended that protection, then they say that could have undesirable consequences. For example, the effect of the administrative burden that that could potentially impose on um, smaller charities, for example. Um, now, as with many of these responses to uh, consultations, they've said that the changes that require legislative changes will be introduced as soon as parliamentary time allows. So um, we'll have to watch, watch this space, but um, hopefully, um, you know, when, when such legislative changes have been um, implemented, this will strengthen the protections for those affected by harassment at work, but will also, importantly, um, motivate employers to make improvements to their own workplace practices um, and their culture, which will in turn obviously benefit all staff. Um, and actually, you know, in terms of the current climate, the fact that the government is committed to introduce these kind of protections or extending these protections, it might actually reassure employees who are currently feeling quite vulnerable about the return to the physical workplace um, at the moment. So um, all in all a positive, but we just have to wait and see for, um, you know, the real, the legislative changes as it were. I think you're absolutely right that it's overall positive and it's definitely, I mean, it's taken them a long time to respond to the consultation. I mean, obviously people in government have had some other things to deal with over the past two years. Mm -hmm. We all understand that, but it has for such an important consultation, I think it's taken a very long time for them to produce a response. Um, and, but there, as you say, there are lots of real positives there. Um, having said that, I'm just going to pick some holes in it. <laughs> um, so my first, my, one of the issues I have with the, proposed changes is the extension of the time limit which I think is a very good idea I think it's I think it's sensible three months is so short um, and I think actually three months often doesn't work for anyone because it forces people into litigating where they might not otherwise litigate and where they might seek a, a, an amicable or a sort of non-litigious solution with their employer so actually I do think that an extension to the time limit could be said to work from both perspectives but I think the concern is that my concern is that they are saying that they'll extend the time limit for Equality Act claims, not just harassment, but all Equality Act claims, but not for other employment claims. So you might well end up with a situation where you have someone with a three month time li limit to bring an unfair dismissal claim, but a six month time limit to bring a to bring an Equality Act claim, which it just ends up with. I think it's a bit confusing and I think it's it, you might end up with people sort of bringing claims early where they have those overlapping claims. Um, and someone you might say actually there are some claims that already have a six month time limit like um, equal pay longer time limit so um so yeah I think you know there, there are arguments to be had around that um but I think it that requires some further thinking and I think the mandatory duty is a really positive step because it as you say it sort of shifts the emphasis from seeing harassment as a litigation risk onto seeing harassment as a as a as a positive sort of, I was about to say harassment as a positive obligation, that's not what I mean. Uh, seeing prevent, prevention of harassment as a positive obligation on the employer and kind of shifts the focus to stopping it happening rather than reacting when it has happened. But I think that must be backed up by some kind of proper enforcement mechanism, because I think one of the flaws in our system is that 
enforcement of these things is left to vulnerable individuals who um, who don't have the tools to enforce that always don't have the money to enforce it necessarily and you have to then go through the tribunal system which is massively overstretched um, so I think I think the government ought to be thinking about how they can enforce that mandatory duty other than by way of individual enforcement um, and the other there's the third party harassment I think it'd be really interesting to see what the details are going to be of that I think it's massively positive that they're reintroducing it um, employment practitioners have been pointing out for a long time that the current position doesn't really work and that there is no real protection against third party harassment. Um, but I think we just have to wait and see what it's actually going to look like in, the, in, in detail. And it's all subject to parliamentary time allowing and Parliament quite busy. Yeah, so, and I, I suspect that's probably the reason why it's, they've been deliberately vague on, on their wording as to what those protections might look like in relation to third party harassment. Yeah, I do think um, it's interesting that whilst they are happy to reintroduce third party harassment protections, they don't, they think it will be more complicated to introduce protections for volunteers and mm. interns, because I do think what we did see come out of the sort of whole Me Too movement was that, you know, these sorts of harassment issues don't stop because of the sort of status that some holds. In fact, if somebody holds a more tenuous status, for example, they're only there for a short while, they're a volunteer, they don't have um, maybe the same sort of clout that somebody in a more senior position might have, that is where the potential, you know, um, imbalance in power and and the um, the misuse of power might come into play that gives rise to some of these harassment claims. So um, I think a slight missed opportunity there um, on the part of the government, I think, to expand um, protection to people who probably you know need it need it the most and people that are coming into the workplace, um, you know, for the first time perhaps if they're an intern or a volunteer and that's the first role that they've done. Um, should be the first people that we're thinking about to protect from this sort of behaviour. So um, that's a bit of a shame, but um, I think that, as you say, there are still quite a lot of positives to take from uh, this response and just hope that the government will get their skates on um, soon and make time in this very busy schedule of theirs. Um, so that, I think, leads us on to our next discussion, which is in relation to what has been reported as um, an increase in online sexual harassment. Um, so there was a, a recent story um, in The Independent um, that reported that a quarter of women have suffered sexual harassment whilst working from home, um, and that misconduct had been exacerbated by um, lockdown when that happened back in March. Um, so although we're having sort of uh, less face-to-face -face interactions, and you would think and hope that that would mean a limit on, on potential harassment. Um, I think there's still the aspect of um, the ability for perpetrators to use all the online tools that we now have um, to also find new ways to uh, harass their victims. And a charity has um, undertaken a report into uh, the levels of harassment going on in, in the online space and that charity is called the Rights of Women and they do a, um, a sexual harassment advice line um, and they polled women and half of those women that they polled said that they'd been subjected to workplace sexual harassment and that that had taken place remotely. Um, so it could sound surprising probably that it's taking place um, more in lockdown and than Interesting. I'm not sure that it is. I, I think it's a different kind of, I, I think it's surprising in some ways, but I think that actually um, I think the ease with which you can 
make comments, make inappropriate comments. You're also, you're seeing people on video in a way that previously a lot of those interactions, if they weren't happening in person, would have happened by phone. So you wouldn't have had that kind of visual um, contact. Mm -hmm. um, but also I think that there's a, a knowledge that, you know, most things, this we're doing this on Zoom and it's being recorded, but most Zoom calls aren't recorded. Yeah. Um, and it's very, it's easy to, you know, to do, make comments, say things, do things without them being traced. And without the other person's knowledge sometimes. I mean, I think some of the stories that were reported were um, include a director of a company who was using Zoom to take screenshots um, of the complainants that he was then sharing with colleagues and making derogatory statements about that individual um, doing sexual acts whilst um, on the Zoom call, which was obviously something that he overlaid on top of the, mm. the photos being taken, but that's also taken advantage of a situation where, you know, someone's entrusted you yeah, and also you're, engage you're with them and having access into people's private spaces in a way that you never would have before. Um, you know, you're seeing people, colleagues are seeing into your house, into your home, and a lot of people are um, carrying out those calls from very, you know, from from uh, bedrooms sometimes, from, you know, we're, actually an exciting development me and one are both in the office today together so that's it but um you know other, but, otherwise but equally, you're, you're, get, you're getting a very kind of personal insight into my kitchen meanwhile exactly, so exactly <laughs> so, but I think you know in, totally seriously people are you know often people in lower paid work particularly will not be doing it from their sort of luxury office space and the, at the end of their beautiful garden but will be doing these calls from you know private spaces and it's it, it's it's a kind of real intrusion into their lives mm -hmm. um but I, think... I mean as well as that I think you made the point that you know is it really surprising not really I mean I know I I said it was surprising yeah. but people do use all sorts of methods and have always used sorts of different methods to um harass other people um and maybe it's it's increasing that they're using for example text messaging um whatsapps taking pictures sending um pornography to other you know colleagues things that they might have done maybe over email or you know the internal um messaging programs that they had at work they're now just taking that and doing that from home um and i think that the um difficulty or, or the challenge is that people are slightly more isolated now as well working from home and if they're the subject of, of this sort of treatment, might find it even more difficult to come forward and say, you know, so-and-so has just sent me this message. On the flip side of that, um, with those sorts of uh, communications, it is much easier to have a record of them. And the sort of thing that, you know, we advise individuals who are on the, the other end of, of this sort of treatment is, you know, keeping records of this sort of thing is really important so that you could have the evidence to go to your employer and to make the complaint um, and notify them so they can do something about it. Um, and it is unfortunate actually as part of this um, report and polling um, that a lot of women had said that they don't think that their employers are actually doing enough um, to deal with this sort of harassment that's online. Um, seven out of 10 women reported that they thought their employers weren't doing enough and that uh, three out of 10 said that they thought the pandemic had blighted employers' um, response to the mistreatment. So employers were actually using the pandemic as an excuse not to take action, to say, you know, we're kind of busy with other things here, you know, we've got more important and, and, things to get yeah, up with. And I th actually think that's going to be even more difficult now for employers as, as you kind of enter into this, potentially this blended working environment, because they're now going to be focusing on, you know, how do we 
how do we kind of marshal sexual harassment back in the workplace, you know, whilst also looking out for kind of remote working potential risks for harassment that way. So you now have to kind of divide your time that way. And I think a lot of employers will now be starting to think about, okay, more focusing on that return to work. You know, for example, people going back to social gatherings, like on, in a work, work-based social gathering and back to, you know, what we were talking about a year or so ago about um, alcohol in these types of events. And um, I think it will be difficult to manage um, in terms of, you know, but I think they need to, they just need to be aware and alive to these risks that actually um, those people that are working from home, you still can't forget about them and um, the policies that you're implementing and you're updating need to take into account risks in both kind of work settings, really. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, we were discussing just in the office earlier about the sort of new social norms and how, um, I mean, you're dealing with people who, um, some of whom have, you know, not had much social, much in-person social interaction for a year and actually, are probably slightly desocialized. I have to say, I feel slightly <laughs> desocialized. Um, and and sort of working out, you know, the the whole politics of social interactions, and frankly, how you know how you greet people, like you know, can you shake hands? Do you knock elbows? Do you hug each other? All of those things are quite difficult in personal interactions. And then you know, you bring that into the workplace and go, well, how and and, and you know, how how do people now interact? How do they greet each other? Are we going to go back to shaking hands? Are we not? You know, it's, I think it's going to be a, a, a real interesting minefield of, of sort of um, really difficult for employers and employees to navigate. Yeah, but I do think, um, especially with the potential online um, harassment, that employers should be trying to lead the way on this. And I know we always talk about policies, 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 policies. They are, you know, they're not the be all and end all in the sense that they can't. Um, stop these things going on but they can be uh, a pointer in the right direction for the sort of behaviours that are expected from the employer and I think for a lot of people that may not understand or appreciate that some of the behaviours that they may be demonstrating um, or um, contributing to constitutes harassment these sorts of things need to be explicitly named in policies so you know, policies are only as good. I totally agree with you, but policies are only as good as, as their implementation. Uh-huh. And so you have to be training, training people. Absolutely. And I think um, a refresher on um, yeah on on harassment policies and those kinds of things as people come back into the workplace will be really important. Just reminding people what it looks like, reminding people what is and is not acceptable. For example, you know, you shouldn't be recording people without their permission on Zoom that sort of thing, even if it's just, that's just a straightforward, you know, um, mode of behavior or, or conduct that should just be common sense, um, but it should hopefully also stop the sorts of behaviors that then lead to um, harassment complaints, but also um, pointing individuals and employees in the right direction if they are the subjects of, of this sort of behavior so that they know, even if I'm sat at home, who do I go to? Is it HR? Is there a, a, an employee representative or somebody I can speak to confidentially who I could raise this issue with um, and know that it's going to be dealt with properly? And then finally, uh, employers should obviously know this, um, even if they are busy, even if there are other things going on, harassment it should be at the top of their agenda and it shouldn't be swept under the carpet they need to be taking action straight away as soon as they get a report because their obligation isn't just to the individual that's making the report it's to the whole of the workplace and the individual who's potentially the perpetrator could potentially be a risk to other um, staff members as well so 
And they also, I mean, they, you know, as well as the legal obligations that employers have, they might also have regulatory obligations that, you know, it might be quite a, a simple route for an employer to think, oh, I can settle a potential claim in terms of something that's arisen. But actually, if you do have those regulatory obligations, they, they're still there and you need to actually take steps to kind of deal with the underlying issues and act quickly um, to mm. ensure that you cover all bases. I think that's just something that employers will just have to think about. Um, it's not as easy as just addressing the legal risk and potentially settling claims. Um, there's more work to do. And that yeah. brings us nicely back to the mandatory duty that we talked about at the beginning, that you know, once that is introduced, that employers will have that extra sort of step that they have to, or hurdle that they have to jump to, to be able to defend any claims, that they have to show that they've complied with their mandatory duty. Yeah. And that will bring it, hopefully, to the forefront of employers' minds. And I think flip the usual blame game that you sort of see from it just being the employer not wanting to take responsibility for what's happened to seeing it as something that they can positively contribute to, a positive culture in the workplace. And if they have the mandatory duty to say, well, look, we're doing something that is mandated under law, hopefully they'd get the support of um, leadership and well as you also need the support of all the staff in the business as well to, to follow the lead that they're taking so yeah that is I think it brings us to the end of this episode which has been a short sharp sweet episode I hope um, speaking about harassment and hoping that we're going to see some changes coming in the sort of next few months and, and maybe years so it's been a pleasure um, to have you on this podcast um, we have lots of other resources and materials on our website, www.cm-murray.com. Um, and if you have any questions or any topics that you'd like to speak to us about, please do email us. Um, and other than that, I think that's it for this episode. So thank you, Fuja. Thank you, Beth. Thanks and so much. We'll Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye.